From Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. One last tug on my green tea and away we go. Welcome, friends. Good to have you aboard. And uh, again, a special welcome to KLVTAM 1230 Lubbock, Texas, our brand new affiliate, the best in the West. Great to be part of High Plains, the High Plains Radio Network. And I believe KLVT will actually start uh, airing this broadcast in uh, early July, uh, July 8th, I believe. So when that date rolls around, we'll say hello to KLVT all over again. That'll be just about the time I'm taking this program on the road uh, down to Kalamata in uh, southern Greece, and uh, we'll be broadcasting uh, from there live uh, throughout July and uh, a good part of August as well. Looking forward to that. Uh, taking the, uh, the little guys with me. Uh, the mighty Aphrodite, unfortunately, not going to be able to make the trip. She's uh, uh, busy with other projects here, but uh, she just got back from uh, from Kalamata. So we're, she's coming, I'm going, I don't know. It's, <laughs> it's, it's chaotic, but it's the way we like it. It's the way we roll, as the kids say. Uh, got a great program for you lined up, uh, and it's always a pleasure to welcome, speaking of Lubbock, Texas, a gentleman who's done a little bit of cowboying himself, I'm guessing, from Zealand News Network, Victor Vigiani. How are you, my friend? Good to have you aboard, as always. Just great to be here. And, uh, yes, you're right. We'll do a little bit of cowboying tonight, too, I guess. <laughs> well, uh, we... Um well, you just uh, got back from Washington not too long ago, right. maybe about a month and a half, two mm-hmm. months ago, and uh, you were down there, obviously, uh, observing mm-hmm. a very historically significant event, and that was the citizens' hearing on ET or UFO ET disclosure. Mm-hmm. We've talked about it since you've come back, but we're going to talk to two of the the principals involved in just a, just a few moments. But give people. Again, just a very brief description what that citizen hearing was all about. Well, the the hearings themselves were about gathering 40 uh, of the probably the most prominent witnesses, as they're called, um, experienced people who've been involved in the, the UFO ET matter for a number of years, decades, most of them, and gathering these 40 people to present over 30 hours, 30 hours of testimony, uh, both from all the researchers and the military witnesses. So they gathered in panels of three and four and five individuals at a panel desk before uh, six former members of the United States Congress. One of them, by the way, was a U.S. senator. And this went on from about 9 o'clock in the morning every day from the Monday to the Friday until about 5 in the afternoon with a bit of a break, uh, of course, for lunch and you know, smaller breaks during in the day, but it was just an onslaught, a wave, a constant wave of the most incredible testimony that we could ever imagine being given about this UFO issue, and it completely convinced some very, very skeptical uh, former congressmen that there is something very, very strange going on in the sky, and by this Friday, they began to send out demands that this stuff be brought forward to the public, So, and tonight we're going to be listening to why and how that all happened with uh, our guests this evening, which we'll, you'll no doubt introduce. Uh, yeah, let's get right to it. First of all, no st- stranger to this program, of course, and uh, that would be Stephen Bassett, a political activist, leading advocate for open, transparent government. And since 1996, he's been working to end a government-imposed truth embargo on formal acknowledgement of an extraterrestrial presence engaging 
the human race. He's the executive director of the Paradigm Research Group, which has sponsored many projects, including the Extraterrestrial Phenomena Political Action Committee, lobbyist registration with the U.S. Congress, Exopolitics World Network, uh, and, as we say, the driving force behind uh, this citizen hearing, which took place uh, at the end of April into early May. Stephen Bassett, welcome once again to The Conspiracy Show. It's good to be with you, Richard, Victor, as always. Now, this next gentleman, uh, I guess uh, up until recently, has been, has been sort of a mystery man. And uh, we're going to learn uh, all about a Canadian uh, owner of an, uh, owner-operator of an oil exploration and development company who saw fit to get behind this citizen hearing. And uh, we'll find out why uh, he did that. And uh, so let's welcome Thomas Clearwater to The Conspiracy Show. Hello, Thomas. Welcome. Hello, Richard. Hello, Victor. It's good to be on air with you. And uh, Stephen Bassett uh, joining us as well. Hi, Tom. Awesome. Hello, Stephen. Stephen, uh, let me uh, start with you. You've yeah. now had a couple of months uh, to uh, to sort of, I guess, reflect upon, uh, probably maybe you haven't had a lot of time to reflect knowing you, uh, not a lot of time for reflection, just go, go, go. But let's just uh, take a few moments to do that. Reflect on what has happened in those in the ensuing months since the end of the, uh, the citizen hearing on disclosure. Well... I see the ensuing months. Let's see, what is it? It's uh, 23rd, so it's now been a little over six weeks. The event was intense, and um, um, in, in the six months since, we have been focused on sort of regrouping um, and preparing to move forward. Uh, what we have to do next requires more funding. And so we didn't have a luxury of of being able to shoot the documentary, put on the event, which ended up costing quite a bit more than had been projected because it had never been done before. So we were, you know, guessing. <laughs> we guessed low. Uh, and so we just did, we didn't have the funding to immediately just start firing off uh, uh, new projects. Uh, so uh, in the six months since, what's happened is uh, there's been some residual media coverage. Uh, there was a reasonable amount during the event itself, which is, well, you can see it on uh, citizenhearing.org. There's a whole section there, the media coverage, and I think there's more that we're going to be adding to that. There were a number of interviews of both witnesses, committee members, myself, um, that are out that were out there, and, and there's copies of that here and there. Primarily, the, the most significant thing that's happened in six, six weeks is that bits and pieces of this testimony has been doing what um, you, you see happen now in the modern age, and that is working its way throughout the global Internet. Um, uh, Ten-minute pieces here, five there, eight there, segments of it, uh, YouTube, uh, other websites just spreading like water spreading out from an initial source. Not major morality, to be honest, uh, but nevertheless uh, out there, and that's fine. Saturating uh, the uh, the public awareness a little bit, which lays the groundwork for the next steps, which will come soon once we get our ducks lined up here. Uh, so there's been no major developments, at least not in the uh, the ET disclosure world. There have been major developments elsewhere that have tangential impact. Uh, but we have many projects, and we'll certainly discuss those tonight. Could you recap the 
uh, I guess the the communique that was issued by the six former members of Congress at the conclusion of the of the uh, the citizen hearing for those that that, that weren't familiar yeah, with that. Sure, uh, and for those of your listeners which are on the net right now, and I know many of them are, it's citizenhearing.org, which is still the host main website. If you go to the foundation link, you will see that communique. It's right there. Uh, in a nutshell, the, the members, the six former members of Congress came in with a relatively neutral to skeptical uh, position on this issue, by and large. I did not ask them what their position was, but in talking with them in general, I got a sense that that's where they were. They, they were not there because they had an intense interest in this subject. They were there because uh, they felt it was a worthy project and they wanted to be part of it. Um, and they they had a dramatic uh, experience which significantly impacted their worldview, without question. And they all agreed to this. They all acknowledged this. That within a very short amount of time, I mean, within the first day, the testimony profoundly impacted them. And by the end of the week, their whole view on this was uh, significantly changed. Changed enough that they actually did two things, which I think was really wonderful. And one was they um, uh, signed a letter on behalf of two of the witnesses, John Burroughs and Jim Peniston, who were uh, uh, eyewitness, uh, first-hand eyewitnesses to the Bettwaters Rendell from Farr's case. Uh, where a craft came down uh, over several nights and was interacted with humans, including them, uh, there were effects and impacts on them which uh, affected their health, and, and they had been trying to deal with those, but they can't get their medical records because they, those records were classified. Uh, the members of Congress, uh, former members, signed a letter to the Veterans Administration asking and demanding those, le- those, those files be released to them. Uh, that was very powerful. And then... Uh, on uh, Friday, after a meeting that was held fr- Thursday evening, Thursday right after the, we ended about 5:30, uh, a, a desire on the part of uh, uh, the members to uh, take this issue somewhere, and, and they felt the United Nations was was, was some some uh, uh, was a good good way to go because it really has not been involved in this issue. It's been forced literally on the outside, uh, uh, primarily by the, by its principal. Uh, you know, uh, funders, the U.S. and others, they just don't want it involved, to approach it and to approach the General Assembly. And so they signed a communique that was put together, written by Mike Ravel, and then uh, edited a little bit by myself and, and um, uh, Congressman Roscoe Bartlett, uh, and, and with some help from the other members, including Carolyn Kilpatrick, uh, calling on, uh, in this case, the Citizen Hearing Foundation, which we're setting up right now, a nonprofit 501c3 to raise funds to to orchestrate a a uh, a multiple you know a joint effort on the part of uh, uh, several countries ideally around six to put a resolution before the UN General Assembly calling for a world conference which would be backed and funded by the UN uh, this would be unprecedented. Um, and the General Assembly is not the Security Council, and uh, anything could be introduced by any member, any member nation. has to come through a member nation and an ambassador. Uh, so this is a project we're going to pursue, and we're going to move to raise funds uh, for the Citizen Hearing Foundation uh, to not only do that, but hold another citizen hearing. So this communique is essentially a call to 
to put this issue into the United Nations General Assembly on the basis of calling for a world conference backed by the UN to examine the evidence, seemingly indicating an extraterrestrial presence engaged in the human race. So that was, again, an example of a proactive measure on their part. And I think the most notable thing I could add, and I'll conclude with this, is that I am quite confident that if the United States Congress, which has not held a hearing on this in 68, were to bring in uh, these witnesses, uh, or their equivalent, or and, and, and there are many more than just the 40 uh, that we, we brought into Washington, I assure you, that all of the members of the committees that they would testify before would undergo the same exact transformation, which I think the the managers of this issue well know, which is why uh, on every effort, and there have been a number to get congressional hearings on the ET issue in Congress, have all been blocked over the last 30 years. There's at least three of them that I know personally about. All right, Stephen. I think there have been some others. They simply won't let it happen because they know exactly what would happen. These witnesses would testify. We'll and take the a, embargo would be over. We'll take a time out. We'll come back and we'll find out what the owner-operator of an oil exploration and development company here in Canada has to do with UFO ET disclosure. Victor Vigiani joins me in studio from Zeland News Network, Stephen Bassett from the Paradigm Research Group, and coming up, Thomas Clearwater here on The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. This is no place for the naive or the faint-hearted. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Welcome back. Victor Vigiani from Zealand News Network joins me in studio from April 29th to May 3rd, 2013. Uh, uh, Stephen Bassett, its Paradigm Research Group, uh, produced its most ambitious project, the Citizen Hearing on Disclosure. Forty witnesses from ten countries brought to the National Press Club in Washington. Researchers, activists, military agency persons of high rank and station testified for 30 hours over five days before six former members of the U.S. Congress regarding events and evidence supporting the extraterrestrial explanation for a range of unexplained Phenomena and joining Stephen Bassett uh, with us tonight is the, uh, I guess, the Canadian connection, uh, one of the Canadian connections to the citizen hearing, Thomas Clearwater. Uh, Thomas, welcome again. Let me ask you, what does the owner operator of an oil exploration and development company have to do with the UFO ET issue? Well, that's a, that's an awesome question. Uh, let me let me before I answer it, let me first convey my gratefulness for. Uh, everything that Stephen has done, he's um, he's the guy in the trenches here, and this this kind of work is is no simple matter. It's uh, it's it's very complex and and requires uh, an incredible dedication, which Stephen has given. Um, uh, your question, that's a difficult question to answer. Um, you know, it's it's essentially like asking to sum up a lifetime. Um, but let me try to approach it this way. There's a there's a line in the uh, in the movie The Matrix, which um, I think it was uh, Morpheus asking or talking to Neo saying, listen, you know, it's like this this dimension, this plane of existence, there's just something that just doesn't fit right. It's it's uh, something wrong. And, and, and that was essentially my life. And uh, I, I grew up within that feeling of, of wondering, you know, this uh, the, the, the whole thing, the whole panoply of my life here, including what I'm taught, et cetera, none of it really makes that much sense to me. So I set out and uh, wanted to uh, find out what the heck this place is about. And uh, that led me through all sorts of uh, turns and courses and pathways. And eventually I rose into this ET issue. And 
it, w- it wasn't until I did that 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 uh, uh, all the uh, all, all, all the markers started appearing on the horizon and the dots started um, being connected. Stephen, perhaps I could get you to explain what Thomas Clearwater's contribution um, is to the citizen hearing uh, and beyond. Well, it's real simple. Uh, the you know the, the the disclosure advocacy movement, which is a political advocacy movement, social movement. It's a truth movement. It, I think it's a justice movement. is is one of the most important in all of history, if not the most important. But it is an issue unlike any other, and it has been subjected to a highly uh, orchestrated, heavily funded campaign of disruption, which we call, I, I call the truth embargo. Some used to call the UFO cover-up. I don't like that term. For six and a half decades, billions were spent on it. And for that reason and others, it is the most underfunded major activist movement in all of history. The amount of money that has been put into the truth uh, effort to get the truth on this issue since '47 is so small, it's really almost amusing. Um, people just or can't step out from under the truth embargo and and step up and say, look, you know, I think this we need to do this, and here's some funds. I mean, if you want to save the whales, let me tell you, you, you can find people all over who want to write checks. And so I came up with the idea of the citizen hearing, which I knew as early as 2001 was, would, would be very, very powerful. I was quite certain that it would be every bit as strong as it turned out to be. might not have been the best time to do it in 2001, to be, to be sure, but certainly that's when the idea came up. And, and for 13 years, I tried to get it funded, couldn't do it. It just couldn't get the funding for it uh, until I was contacted by Tom. And he made possible the funding for this because we had put together a film production deal uh, so that the hearing would be part of the creation of a documentary, which will be called Truth Embargo. And we created a standard film production deal. It's not a grant. Um, and his funds will be returned, uh, plus additional monies. It's, it's an extremely favorable and very generous deal to us, but it's not too far to the norm for a standard film production deal. That's the way we did it. Uh, and as it happened, it was a Canadian. Uh, we could not get anybody in the U.S. to fund this issue. And I think there's a reason for that, and, and that is that the truth embargo was heavily, heavily pr- pr- pursued and supported in the United States. The United States allies went along with the truth embargo. I mean, Canada has been in step with the U.S. on this, as has Britain, as has Germany and France, and I will even say in Japan, and the other uh, uh, post-World War II allies of the United States. But the embargo wasn't pursued as aggressively or as intently as it was here for obvious reasons. And so uh, it's also the case that I think people in Canada are a little less afraid of their government. They have a little more trust in their government. They feel a little freer. They don't feel as intimidated. And so it is not an accident that I think a Canadian was the person who stepped forward to fund this. And without Tom, there is no citizen hearing. There would be no documentary. Uh, there, there would be no citizen hearing foundation. All of this is spreading out from this initial support that he provided, um, and that is—it's it's as pure and simple as that. Uh, but the question now remains: is, is, is this enough? I mean, can we now do everything we have to do? No. I mean, we had enough funding to to, to do the basic documentary and put on the hearing, which ended up costing far more than we expected. 
but we have multiple projects ready to go with right now. We need more Thomas Clearwaters. In other words, you know, gee, Tom is is has done what he can do, but he can't shoulder this this advocacy revolution on his own. Where are the other individuals? And there are huge candidate numbers of candidates who 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 outwardly profess to be uh, for open, transparent government, for honest government, for truth in government and even for acknowledgement of the ET presence. All right, let me get uh, Victor Vigiani to weigh in here. Yeah, I, actually what I want to do is uh, maybe direct something to Tom. Um, th- this whole idea of, of a reality collapsing on you and, and you kind of um, be- becoming attached to a different realm, a different reality, and seeing our planet unfold in a, in a way that really didn't sit well with you, uh, what, what made the transition for you to you know, make that telephone call to Steve and to, and to really kind of uh, show the necessity and the rightness of, of what needed to be done? And put your money where your mouth is, too. Well, exactly. And, uh, and, and, and action is, uh, for me, uh, a, a spiritual path that um, when I see something that's true, I follow it, and I follow it up with action. And uh, so, you know, what made me transition was was merely the force of the information itself. And if I could, um, you know, perhaps give this as a as an analogy, the <clears throat> and I know there's uh, listeners out there who aren't on this particular wavelength that I'm on or that Stephen's on, etc. But let me put it this way: assuming that ETs exist, this process of um, rising into that understanding is is like coming from the bottom of the ocean where it's dark. And slowly, slowly, the light starts turning on. It gets lighter and lighter. And there comes a point, it's a binary point, where you breach the surface. That point I reached, oh, maybe a year a year ago, approximately, maybe a year and a half. And that was it. So it was the force of the information and the reality that what, uh, what kind of future uh, this will provide us it's a beautiful future we're looking into. It's a future where poverty is eliminated, where we are no longer uh, at each other's necks in warfare and all of that. It's a lovely, lovely future. So that's, you know, if there is anything I want to put my efforts and my commitment and my money towards, it's something like that. Can I, uh, I mean, here's the elephant in the room, and, and uh, I mean, you're the owner-operator of an mm-hmm. oil and gas exploration company, and yet so much of, you know, what's involved with the UFO ET issue, obviously, is the potential for free energy. Absolutely. Ex- explain the, I mean, here's a guy coming from the oil company who's getting behind this. Explain the dichotomy and what's going through your mind. Well, there's, yeah, I hear you. There's nothing lost in, in going into free energy because free energy means that everybody wins. And it means that I win. It means that my neighbors win. It means that everybody around the world wins. So, um, yeah, there's a resistance of, of people who are uh, in industries uh, and locked into certain ways of living, etc. Yeah, I, I, I sense that resistance. For me, again, it's um, the reality is that is that we are looking into a kind of uh, scientific and technical future, including with such things as free energy, uh, that uh, that make life a, um, a a much more beautiful beautiful experience. 
Let, let's go back just for a second to uh, what Steve alluded to earlier, maybe a comment from Tom and then maybe even Steve too. This idea of yourself as a, as a Canadian, Tom, making this move and then putting that together with Steve's idea that there are lots of other people both in the United States and possibly throughout the world. Um, but, but focusing in on the, on the Canadian experience, is there any chance that either with yourself or combined with Steve or other individuals, that this whole movement um, in, in terms of how this thing gets funded, that some sort of collective could be developed uh, of like-minded people, people like yourself who could stand up and say, yes, I want to be counted in on this too. What kind of influence could you have or other Canadians that are listening to our voice right now, our voices right now, that could stand up and say, yes, I want to be counted in on this. I want to come up from that darkness of the ocean and, and see that, that bright light um, at the end of that binary system. Um, how, how do you feel about that, Tom? And maybe Steve got a comment too. Sure. Well, you know, information has its own force. It's accumulative, and it works regardless whether a person wants it to work. You know, if somebody walks up to you and says, your, your dog is dead, uh, and if that's true, it's, wow, it's, it's happening inside, whether you like it or not. So, you know, information is, is its own driver. You know, back in the days when the printing press was created, uh, uh, information turned the world apart changed it uh, dramatically. And, and the, with the Internet now, um, uh, we are seeing uh, a, a vast series of changes where, and I'll speak to your point more particularly now, that where people just naturally gravitate together. They come together and gravitate toward relevant other people in relevant experiences where, uh, where they are drawn through various uh, means uh, of being able to contribute to each other. Uh, and, and what is needed for people to be able to do that is some starting point. And uh, I feel uh, honored to have been played some role, any role at all, in, in providing some sort of starting point for people to actually uh, find ways and means in that natural, evolving way, the way of uh, evolution itself is to um, uh, where various higher forms of order are created out of lower forms. Stephen, did you want to comment? Oh, yeah. Well, first of all, Tom is, is, is leading by example. He's showing people, look what was possible because I made some funds available. Now, what else could be possible if more funds were available? But there's a much larger point here. The, the fundamental goal of the truth embargo, given that it was being operated in a, in a country that was still a, a representative republic, a democracy, uh, that was not uh, operating like, say, a Soviet Union, for instance, uh, was to contain this issue uh, through a massive propaganda campaign and manipulation of, of multiple institutions so that over a period of what is now 65 years, the schools wouldn't teach it. The media would not really investigate it, might write stories, but they wouldn't investigate. The Congress wouldn't engage it or hold hearings. The executive wouldn't talk about it. And of equal importance, that the granting institutions, of which there are thousands, and, and also individual philanthropists, of which there are thousands, would be uh, you know, afraid to uh, or concerned about funding it. Keep the money out, keep the education out, keep the Congress out. And they succeeded, except that the truth embargo really... A kind of a formal 
uh, input of new energy into it ends around 2000, and it's been really been running on its own momentum for the last 10 years, and a substantial quantity of individuals within government, within military, within intelligence community, I think, actually favor disclosure now. And so there is a very key point here that happened on May, May, uh, April 29 to May 3. One, a gentleman put forward a substantial amount of money to make this happen. He's not being harassed. He's not being bothered. He's just fine. There were 40 witnesses there that testified in front of cameras, and their, their testimony is going to be spread all over the world. They're not being bothered. They're not being harassed. They're just fine. And so the 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 only thing it's it's kind of the residual effects of this truth embargo that's lingering in people's minds like oh somebody will tell a joke or somebody will make fun of me if I say anything or if I put some money in this uh, you know Lawrence Rockefeller put money in this Robert Bigelow a billionaire put money in this on the March 31st show on Coast to Coast on, with uh, with uh, George Knapp as host you can find this on on the Coast to Coast AM website in the archives Robert Bigelow a billionaire stated three times that the ET presence is real. I'm not kidding. Read, listen to it. He said it was real. He even said he favored uh, what will we'll be called disclosure. He called uh, confirmation, which is simply the acknowledgement of the ET presence. He, he becomes the richest man to ever do that. Okay, fine. So the point is, a disclosure is inevitable, but there's a lot of problems in the world right now. And every day that disclosure is delayed, those problems are not are, are going to get worse. And we're still stuck in the pre-disclosure world, the old paradigm world, based upon a kind of thinking and approach to human affairs, which doesn't work anymore. And so we need disclosure now, not, you know, eventually. And so we can have it now if we get the support necessary to do the things we know we can do, we're ready to do, and put so much pressure on, on multiple governments that it has to happen. All right, let me jump in here, Stephen. We'll take a time out. Come back. Victor yeah. Vigiani in studio from Zeland News Network. Thomas Clearwater, Stephen Bassett on the line as we discuss the citizen hearing on UFO disclosure. Back with more of The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Don't go away. The truth will set you free, but first, it'll really tick you off. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Welcome back. We're talking UFO disclosure. Victor Vigiani, the uh, executive director of Zealand News Network, joins us in studio on the phone. Stephen Bassett, the executive director of the Paradigm Research Group and the driving one of the driving forces, of course, behind the recent citizen hearing on UFO disclosure. And um, a, a man who, I guess, decided to put his, uh, you know, his money where his mouth is and get behind this and, and, and was responsible for funding this citizen hearing, Thomas Clearwater, owner-operator of an oil exploration and development company here in Canada. Uh, let's bring it back to the actual hearing. Uh, if I could get from each of you some highlights. Let's start with Victor. Uh, if you could tell me what you think was a pivotal moment in the hearing, whether it was a, the testimony of a particular witness, the reaction of one of the uh, the, the congressmen uh, or women, t- give us a highlight if you could. I'll get that from each of you. Victor. Oh. Well, I can, I can say two things about that. On, on the very first day, I had uh, the privilege of sitting and having lunch with one of the congressmen, uh, Merrill Cook. And uh, on that day, it, it was sort of uh, a couple of hours into the hearing. And um, 
he had heard a very small portion of what was going on. And I got a sense from him that um, he was extremely reticent about exposing his internal feelings about what was going on and how skeptical he was. And he, he didn't sort of go overboard with the skepticism, but he definitely was playing uh, his hand very, very close to the vest. And I could sense that there was some reticence and even kind of accepting anything that was going on. Um, and then uh, later on in the week, listening to the same man go through this transformation of saying, we have to get those files opened. He said that, I think, on the Thursday or the Friday. I'm not sure which day it was. So this man made a complete 180-degree turnaround on his uh, his belief system about all of this. It sort of um, it got inside of him. So that was one thing that impressed me. And the other part of it was a testimony by Linda Moulton Howe, one of our most, um, I guess, prodigious uh, researchers, where she experienced, uh, rather she explained, how a witness experienced an absolutely dramatic encounter with a television telepathic uh, uh, extraterrestrial and uh, listening to the telepathic messages that were coming from this uh, this ET in a room I don't want to go into all little details but this man described it as trying to watch four or five six seven different movies all at once going on in your head I sat and listened to that and I was just absolutely gobsmacked by it those are the, the two things that hit me really hard Stephen Bassett, I mean, uh, obviously, uh, you know, much of this testimony, I'm guessing you've heard maybe all of it before, but if you could sort of separate yourself from, you know, being the organizer of this, uh, of this event and being a, you know, an, an advocate and talk to me about things that impacted on you emotionally, psychologically, as you're sitting and listening to this as well. The testimony. Well, several things. One, the most important testimony, in my view, of the entire hearing was the testimony of Captain Robert Salas, Captain David Shindelli, Captain uh, Bruce Fenstermacher and Sergeant David Scott, D, they all testified, and there, there are many others that have done the same, to incidents where these uh, craft, almost certainly containing extraterrestrials, came down and tampered with our nuclear weapons on numerous occasions. We have, we have indications that this has happened in other countries as well, obviously the Soviet Union. Uh, they all had national, they all had top security clearances to work on a SAC nuclear base. I mean, uh, Bob Salas was essentially the, the, the guy in charge of the, the silo down below. This is where the two guys with the keys can turn the keys and begin the nuclear war. Uh, when people like that are testifying to these kinds of events, theoretically every journalist working, uh, national offense should be at the Pentagon the next day. Uh, they should be at the White House the next day. Uh, now, they've been talking about this for the last 10 years, uh, though a new witness or two comes forward every uh, five or six months. Uh, but once again, we were able to put that testimony out, but in this even more powerful setting. And, of course, it's on tape. And that is, uh, to me, the most important testimony that may yet still light a fire under an editor somewhere in that town who will actually get in the business of real journalism and say, if this isn't national security, what is? The second thing note, notable, and this is very satisfying to me. Let me just get you to hold on to that. We'll, uh, we'll take a time yeah. out. We'll come back. You're Stephen great. Bassett will uh, give us some more highlights from the testimony of the citizen hearing. And Thomas Clearwater will also share some of his favorite moments or what he feels the most poignant moments from the citizen hearing as we discuss UFO disclosure. Victor Vigiani in studio from Zealand News Network here on The Conspiracy Show. When in doubt, blame the government. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. 
Stephen Bassett on the line, a political activist, a leading advocate for open, transparent government, and uh, since '96 been working to end a government-imposed truth embargo, embargo regarding the UFO ET issue, uh, organizer of the uh, citizen hearing, which took place at the end of April on this very subject, and uh, sharing some of the, uh, the highlights of the more than 40 hours of testimony from some 30 witnesses uh, on the UFO ET issue. Oh, so you had one more that you wanted to share, and then we'll move on to Thomas Clearwater. Uh, yeah, the uh, New York Daily News, which is kind of a hybrid between a straight daily paper and a tabloid, like many of the papers in England, sent a reporter down the very first day, did an awful, awful hit piece, right, just as bad as it gets. They got so much grief from from the Internet and from comments on their websites that he was sent back and did a straight piece at the end of the week. That was pretty cool. Some of the most emotional testimony came from Jeffrey Torres, the son of Milton Torres. Uh, his father is now bedridden and unable to speak. Uh, and he testified in his behalf regarding uh, Milton Torres's uh, being ordered to shoot down an aircraft carrier size UFO in 1957 over Britain in a fog. Um, and also the testimony of, of, of Denise Marcel and Jesse Marcel III, who testified along with their father, Jesse Marcel uh, Jr., um, as regards not only Jesse Marcel Jr.'s uh, experience since he came forward to back up his father, but also the experience of their grandfather. These are emotional moments for me. Uh, of course, the Marcells were uh, on the ground during uh, the Roswell uh, UFO uh, incident uh, when two flying disks crashed uh, near Corona. Well, yeah, I mean, Jesse Marcel Jr. was, and then his children, of course, uh, uh, were direct witness to what he went through and his and 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 how he dealt with you know the fact that the Air Force essentially called them all liars. I mean. His father and Jesse Marcel Jr. and these are all exemplary people. I mean, Jesse Marcel served in the military in multiple capacities as a as a, as a medical officer and injured himself very late in life in Iraq. I mean, these are just super quality people, and they're being called liars by the Air Force. It's it's just another reason why the truth embargo is a stain now and not not a not a justifiable policy. All right, Thomas Clearwater, if you could share a, a, a poignant moment or two from the hearing. Yeah, Richard, you know, it was for me, the uh, the panel members' final submissions, um, uh, that was decision time. You know, here we had, a, here we had panel members uh, in the public, in the public eye, with, uh, with many, many people watching, uh, having to now decide what are they going to say, because that, whatever they say is going to carry their, uh, their the ultimate weight of, of what their experience was, and were they going to be truthful to that experience if they were convinced by the evidence. And you could see them looking around and nervous and, yeah, I understand that. I know it's for me. You know, when I, when I first funded this, um, this operation, many people in my life uh, felt I, uh, you know, had fallen off some cliff somewhere, basically. You know, I was in some free fall. And, and you know, they were right about me being in free fall. But what they, what they didn't realize was that I had, I had you know, dived into a rabbit hole and given the interconnectedness of everything and the force of information and how it moves, well, uh, you know, there's a rope that will eventually tighten around each person's ankles and, whoa, in, the, in they'll come with me. Um, the panel members themselves uh, jumped into that rabbit hole. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead, uh, Victor. Actually, the, the, the what I want to get to is, is this whole idea of um, the forces that are at work um, that, that, that mitigate against all of this. And there's been significant damage uh, done by the silence of government to the, uh, to the human psyche 
by the perpetrators of the of the truth embargo, and one of them is fear, you know, the fear of knowing that something is real, and virtually choking off that reality from from the public. Uh, I'd like to get your idea, Tom, about what the role of the media will be to transform itself uh, and play a role in accomplishing uh, sort of the the freedom of flow of information. What will transform this this entity called the media to bring this stuff forward? Well, the media is going to – they're going to lose their market share because they're basically becoming irrelevant. If, if, they, don't, if they don't begin in a, in a much more uh, clarified way to give what, uh, what is actually true in terms of you know, the, the, the journalistic, uh, including investigative, angle, um, they'll simply lose – completely lose market share to people who will find their information sources elsewhere. People fundamentally want to know what's true. You know, ask any person whether they like being lied to. They don't. They can't stand it. It's one of the worst. Information is that important to every person and to their way of being and their way of functioning in this world. So, so the uh, the media, um, uh, you know, if they want to get in on 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 the ground level, um, you know, strike when the when the iron is hot and 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 uh, and uh, lead the way. But otherwise. You know, you'll be moved out of the way in any event because the internet is 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 just too powerful. So, so is there a specific thing that you could say to some of the journalists that I know are listening to tonight? All this of this conversation, if you were sitting beside one right now or in a park bench somewhere with uh, sort of, you know, their ear completely open, uh, what would you say to to any individual journalist who has this potential to increase their own newspaper's market share or at least advance this cause in a way that's significant to the human race? Right, I would say take that step. Really, you know, it's, uh, Stephen Greer, who is involved in, in disclosure, has often said the, the factor missing from people's lives is this factor called moral courage. And really that what he's talking about there is, is the courage to actually take a step out of the herd and be accountable and truthful for what you experience, receive, etc. So uh, that's basically in a nutshell what I would say. Take the step. Be courageous. Be uh, yourself. Uh, be, be, sorry, yeah, go sorry, ahead. Be, Finish. On, be, be honest. Be honest. Quit the lying. Give people the truth, and you will see a beautiful future arise. Anyways, you can go ahead now. Uh, Stephen, the, the six uh, congressmen and women who are on this panel, what, I mean, have they been, you, I mean, you mentioned that they've been obviously, you know, a, a, changed by this by hearing this testimony mm-hmm. but i mean do they have an assignment in their minds now what do they what do they do from, that's a development uh they weren't they weren't being recruited to become essentially part of a uh, you know activist movement per se that's a decision they'll make but uh they did their job they did it well and you may see them involved down the line a little bit but uh i'm, I'm not you know i'm gonna let them make that call First, we've got to get our ducks lined up. We've got to get the bills paid. We've got to get the foundation launched. There's a whole lot of stuff that needs to be put in place. And we'll see. But there are hundreds of other former members of Congress. Uh, they, again, are an example. Um, how many others are, you know, I'm hoping that others will look at what happened there and go, wait a minute. You know, they're, they're fine. They, they, they haven't been, you know, they, they can still have lunch in Washington, D.C. 
they've, they've actually generated a lot of, lot of positive responses. I mean, they've received a tremendous amount of positive responses and emails and so forth. Believe me, they have. So we'll see. There's so much to do. Uh, for, you know, let me just give you an idea of what's underway. One, uh, we've, we've launched a, a modest uh, crowdfunding on citizenhearing.org to provide some funds so that we can put together a Blu-ray and DVD box sets of this, this hearing. And we're, and we're not talking a movie. Here. We're talking 30 hours of testimony. It has to be edited and developed. Uh, we're going to launch a uh, crowdfunding for the, for the Truth Embargo movie. And, and, and there is a flash site up now at truthembargomovie.com. That will go up in due course. We'll have the website for the Citizen Hearing Foundation up soon. We'll start a crowdfunding on that to try to get that in uh, with two goals, one to get a resolution into the United Nations and also to do another citizen hearing. Um, I'm going to launch a webcast pretty soon. Basically, it will be called uh, Disclosure Report at uh, secrecyreform.org. It will be a subscription webcast at least once a month, probably twice a month. We'll get into a lot of the, we'll get in in depth to the questions you just asked, and people will be able to ask questions of me uh, in real time. Something they really can't do on these interviews, though I've done a lot of them, and I'll continue to do them, of course. Um, this is, and then of course we we have got to finish up the documentary itself, and we've got to find distribution for it, multiple venues, uh, to complete the production deal. So we have a tremendous amount of work ahead. But um, uh, let me t- let me tell you, we, we have an opportunity here. There's so much going on. There is a revolution building out there where the millennials uh, or the the uh, global uh, generation, the globalists that uh, John Zogby has just wrote about in his book, uh, the New Globals, uh, are rebelling against the old paradigm. Uh, Snowden, Assange, Manning, all of these. These are all millennials. They 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 they, they don't think like the old the old group. They don't think like the baby boomers. They don't have the same values. They're more, more globalist. They're more multicultural, and they hate the secrecy, and they are really taking some very powerful measures against it. And, of course, the, old, the empire is striking back and trying to destroy them, trying to put them in jail for life. This is only the beginning of a massive confrontation between those born between 1980 and 1995 and those born between 1945 and 1960. It, and, and the Internet, is, of course, is the driving you know, engine in all of this. Massive changes a foot. All that's going to happen, but my focus and the focus of our team is disclosure. In the midst of all this, the greatest secret in history is still being withheld. If that secret is finally open, not only will we have a change, I think, in uh, a sea change in our geopolitical realities, we may also be able to get access to the ET technology, which is the hard, solid potential um, impact that Absolutely. could alter the lives of Absolutely. everybody very quickly. I think Victor wanted one more. Continue to operate given the current technology for energy propulsion that we have. We are going to fail, and they have got that technology in black laboratories. It's time we got access to it in an appropriate way, and we're not going to get to that tech until the AET presence is so, acknowledged. So, Tom, one last word mm-hmm. from you. There's a huge momentum that I can feel. It's it's, it's tangible, it's palpable. Um, how do you characterize this momentum, and where do you see it going? I mean, Stephen just explained some really great stuff about energy, etc. How do you internalize the momentum that, that that seems to be building that you've helped build going forward in all of this? We've got, we've got about about a minute and a half just to let you. Know. Okay, yeah. Well, the uh, the momentum is actually it's an accelerating momentum, so it actually forms a parabola. It's just like what the financial system is facing it, and yet uh, the financial system will come to a different end than this momentum that you're talking about, which is going to explode into a beautiful future, like I've said. Um, uh, Information, like I said, is cumulative, and and you don't forget it. It 
goes into the data bank. And um, once uh, enough people reach a, once there's a critical threshold reached, uh, you'll see a massive change in society from, uh, from, from this new understanding, just basically automatically filtering out into people's lives, into the structures, institutions, uh, into the ways of uh, living, into laws, etc. So uh, it's, and, it, and it's, it can't be stopped. Um, you know, it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's happening of necessity. It's like trying to, you know, stop the light. You can't stop the light. Vic, uh, Tom, I've got one quick question for Thomas, and, and uh, we've got a very little time here. But Thomas, I mean, now you've, you've dived right in now with both feet. What, do mm. you, how do you go back to the oil and ex, oil exploration business? Or I mean, how do you? Where do you go from here? What do you do? I mean, I know you're very involved, obviously, in, in getting this documentary uh, put together and so forth. But I mean, you've crossed the, the Rubicon, haven't you? Absolutely, absolutely, and and uh, I'm happy not to go back. Uh, you know, I, I will continue and provide for my life practically. Uh, that's of, co- of course for sure, and and I'm grateful for what has been given to me uh, in regards to uh, the money that I was able to uh, afford to give into this process, uh, etc. So um, my future is is looking. I'm, I'm open into a future that I am going to play a role in. At an information level, uh, and um, and and yeah, we'll just see what comes. The, the changes are just so massive. It's like it's like walking through a waterfall. You don't know what's on the other side, but for me, I know it's it's going to be a fantastic, uh, different life. Thomas Clearwater, thank you so much for your time. Stephen Bassett, always a delight to have you. Thank you both, gentlemen. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Richard. Thank you, Victor. Stephen, you're awesome, man. Thanks, Tom. We'll be in touch. Victor Vigiani, thank you, as always. Thomas Clearwater, Stephen Bassett, and Victor Vigiani. Hey, when you see uh, the path to truth, follow it. And uh, when you see an injustice, fight it. Uh, But most importantly, don't be afraid.